episode of the WASD and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and today I have a very special, special guest. I can't believe I'm talking to him. I really can't. I've been talking his ear off for the last 10, 15 minutes before we started recording. Before I introduce our guest, I want to talk about Final Boss and Doc Longy, the two sponsors of the show. If you haven't checked them out, please do. They drop awesome merch. They do surprise drops every month. Be sure to be on that and get yourself some merch from Final Boss and Doc Longy. Additionally, we are a part of the Spawn Camp community. You got WASD and Beyond, Diggity Podcast. You got a whole group of people playing D&D, playing games, watching movies. Get in there, have fun. The Discord is free. It will always be free. There are no paywalls here. Come game with us. Come play D&D with us. Be yourself and be a nerd with us. Without further ado, I have with me Mr. Scott Miller, the founder of 3D Realms and Apogee, Additionally, the creator of Duke Nukem. Scott, how are you doing today? Doing good. This is a, a fun little Sunday with this podcast starting off here. It's my first, uh, well, I don't know if you call it a podcast, but it's my first oh, yeah. interview oh, yeah. probably in six months. Um, like I told you before we started the thing here, you know, I've been getting a lot of requests, but there's always something going on that, uh, that gives me a reason to kind of push this off. But I decided let's start it off with, with yours uh, for this year. and. Um, so I'm happy to be here. Well, we truly appreciate you being here. I thought you were going to eventually not message us because the CSGO major was today and it's the last one. I was like, you know what? He said yes, but this is the last CSGO major and he might dip out <laughs> just to be like, oh, dude, you know what? <clears throat> not feeling so good today. <laughs> just watching the CSGO major. But that didn't happen. And I'm very, very thankful for that. If you could explain to maybe the, because I know who you are and my community knows, most of my community knows who you are. but if maybe the younger crowd might not or those who aren't super into FPS or just that style of gaming in general. Could you explain exactly who you are and what you've, I mean, in my opinion, contributed to the industry? Well, um, got my start really starting Apogee in 1990 and, uh, we're kind of known as the company that really pioneered, um, a couple of things, I guess. Uh, but you know, um, I, I tried pitching some games to publishers back then and uh, I got, you know, nothing but rejections. So I decided to just like self-publish. And uh, the only way to really do that back then was to use, this was pre-internet, you use, you know, bulletin board systems, AOL, CompuServe, Genie, these kind of uh, online systems that were going on back then. And um, I released um, a game called Cross, Kingdom of Cross. And in that game, 
when you finished it, it said, hey, if you like this, send me some extra money and um, I'll send you more episodes. And that little technique there really caught on. That's kind of what uh, kickstarted Apache um, and, and uh, made me realize I was onto something here. So I quit my job. I actually quit uh, my, uh, I quit college my, my last <laughs> semester before I got my bachelor's in computer science. Uh, all my friends thought I was crazy. Then like within six months, they're all working for me because it just really just exploded. Um, you know, I got my mom working for me. Um, I, I'm first employed and just, all, you know, I couldn't hire people fast because things were taken off and I realized I couldn't make games fast enough. So I started looking, f- you know, online on bulletin board systems and other places for people who were kind of designing this sort of like arcade action games that I knew could be split up into episodes really well. And, uh, you know, one of the people I contacted, you know, from at, at the start was John Romero. Uh, he was working for a company called Softdisk <clears throat> and he had a game. I think it was called Dangerous Dave. Um, that was this cute little arcade game. And uh, so I wrote him some letters to get him to contact me. And he finally did. And uh, it was, you know, this is, this is why I say to people that, you know, luck is such a big factor in becoming successful. Because they had just written um, this little scrolling engine, uh, this pixel smooth scrolling engine uh, that John Carmack had completed at Softdisk. Uh, and they had sent this little Nintendo demo off to, uh, or this little demo of, of uh, Mario World um, off to Nintendo and got rejected. <clears throat> so they sent it to me, and I said, "My God, this is this is amazing. Let's let's work together." But they didn't really believe in the shareware concept. They were like, "There's no way you're making that much money off the, off this little text game called Cross." Um, <laughs> and, and so they said, "You know, you need to put some money up, or we're not going to do it." And so they they asked me for. Two thousand dollars, <laughs> you know, thinking that was a lot of money, and it was really kind of was back then. But uh, I, I immediately said, "Sold, let's do the deal." <laughs> um, and uh, they sent me this little one-page um, game design document. This, you know, this is something I've actually posted on my Twitter, <clears throat> where it's like a one or two paragraph description of this game called Commander Keen. You know, Billy Blaze and his bean with bacon mega rocket. You know, go off and and fight the Vorticons and and uh, you know how can you say no to a concept like that? So, it, you know, <laughs> so uh, that's the first game. And it took them like um, two and a half, three months to make. And we released it December 10th, 1990. And um, it just immediately, you know, exploded. So back then I had an answering machine to answer and take calls uh, um, when um, I wasn't, um, wasn't home. And, I was gone on a ski trip that week and came back and the answer machine that could hold like 99 messages was completely full. And, um, and I was like, Oh my God, because I never had that happen with my cross games. You know, I would get like, like 10 orders over a weekend, but this was like 99 and clearly there was more that it couldn't handle. Right. In. So, um, I immediately got my mom. I hired a guy named Sean green, um, who, who was a friend of my sister's and he actually went on to become a programmer for, um, for id software later on and at ion storm um <clears throat> working on the dicotonic product uh, project but uh he was like my first non-family employee and just just to answer phones uh, and um so i mean things just really took off you know commander keen did super well it started making us and id about twenty five thousand dollars a month um you know which 
that this is nineteen ninety one dollars. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is probably you know closer to fifty to seventy thousand dollars. You know, compared you know on nowadays dollars. So it just was it was just explosively taking off. Um, and um, and so anyway, yeah. So I, I guess back to the original question. Uh, you know, just you know, it's just always fortunate timing, being in the right place at the right time, taking advantage of opportunities when they come along. So just got lucky with, you know, being able to release things online, uh, finding this this group called, you know, they later called themselves id Software. Uh, I found another coder whose name was Todd Pogel, who was doing some little, little games. And, you know, he eventually became, you know, the coder for the Duke Nukem games um, and helped me, you know, him and I designed the first Duke Nukem together, and he was the main coder on Duke Nukem 3D. Uh, you know, he was just a powerhouse talent. Uh, so just got really lucky early on finding just amazingly talented people to help grow the company and make these games that you know became iconic. Oh yeah, dude. Can we talk about back in the day though, like working with people? I mean, you have people like John Carmack, John Romero, like people like that are and yourself are now titans right of this industry you guys helped create wolfenstein 3d you got duke nukem duke nukem 3d i mean it's just the evolution from there on then is it's insane to see where we've come but it's also insane to see where we started and the concepts that were created by people like yourself john romero john carmack and many others back then what was that like to just kind of i mean did you know, did you guys know you guys were onto something back then? No, we did not. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of kids with a dream. I mean, it all happened. In, there was almost like there was no struggle. It just all took off. And so we didn't really know that, my God, we're doing something really special here. It was, it was just like we were just doing our work. We were just having fun doing, you know, making these games. And um, it seemed like everything we released did really well for us and uh so there was no struggle it was it was almost too good to be true but we didn't really know it back then um right it we just didn't really appreciate that we were creating you know the, a, a magical series of games that would become iconic and everything also back then you know our thinking was you know, you release a game, it has a life of about six months to maybe a year, and then you, you have to come out with sequels or something else. There was no long tail like there is now. Games didn't, didn't, you know, you never thought that a game would still be alive five or ten years later in some way and still be, you know, for sale somehow. Um, right. you know, games, games had a shorter life back then. Um, so, there, <clears throat> you know, you didn't really enjoy a success like you do kind of now. It was kind of more of a, I don't want to say flash in a pan because it didn't, it, it lasted longer than that. But, you know, like even when we released Duke Nukem 3D, you know, it had eight to 10 months of just amazing retail sales. And then other games are coming out that were knocking us off the charts. And so it was okay. We had a great run with Duke 3D. You know, we, we did the expansion pack, the plutonium pack. Uh, you know, what's the next big thing we need to do? Okay, we're good. Got to do Shadowware. We've got to get a project started called uh, Prey. We got to get a project. We got to get the next big Duke, Duke Nukem game. You know, Duke Nukem Forever, you know, started. So it was always, we were always so busy thinking, okay, we've got this success, but we got to be putting together the plans for the next success because the current success isn't going to last that long. You know, things right, get right. knocked off back then. Um, nowadays, there's a much longer lifespan to games, you know, with Steam and it just always being available digitally. You know, back, like, like I said, back, back when it was like the retail business driving things, 
you know, stores like GameStop and Walmart, they only want to keep the hottest selling games on their shelves because right, then they right. then they take it off and they put the next hot game on there. So you just didn't have the long life like you do now. Um, so it was always a race to, OK, what's the next big thing we got to do? Uh, because the current big thing's not going to be around much longer. Very different world back then. Yeah, it seems like it, man. Because now with a lot of what I see in the industry myself, it's what can like it, it seems a little bit like that, but it's the, the, there's there's a bit of quality missing from a lot of things today, in my opinion. And I'm not saying it's from a developer standpoint or anything like that, but it seems like we need to release, 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 sequel, 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 sequel every year or every other. You can't miss the deadline. And a lot of these once amazing franchises, I won't name them, but I see a lot of these amazing franchises that started out when like the Xbox first came out or the PlayStation first dropped. And you see them just degrade and degrade and degrade nowadays. And it's really a bummer. But back then, like we could talk right now, like, a lot of people that I talk to and know that I'm friends with didn't know Duke was a a side scroller at first. I knew that they didn't. I was like, how did you not know that? They're like, I just know Duke Nukem, you know, 3d. And I'm like, no dude, it was a side scroller. And that's where it started. So what evolved Duke, you know, from side scroller to Duke 3d, because that is, it's a huge jump. And that jump was monumental. In my opinion, it was a monumental jump. Well, it, it really was. But, you know, when we first started working on Duke uh, as, a, as a character in a game, uh, and it was a platforming game, um, you know, 3D just wasn't possible at that time. And, you know, even adding voice work to games was, was much more difficult than it was uh, when we added it to Duke 3D. So, you know, the technology, the computer technology um, back in the 90s, you know, was just very quickly getting better and better every year. Um, with, you know, the 286, the 386, the 486s coming out. Um, and so, you know, we would finish a game and um, it was like, okay, the technology is better now. What can we do now? Uh, right, right. And, uh, and so, <clears throat> you know, the 90s was really an amazing decade because it really was a technology race on both the hardware side and the software side. You know, this was, hit, this was id Software's heyday, the 90, 90s, because, you know, they, they, came out first with their smooth scrolling pixel engine game with Commander Keen. And we used that on several different games. Um, you know, we even licensed that engine and used it for games like Biomenace. Um, and uh, anyway, so, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, they came out with, um, you know, behind the scenes, they were doing some stuff for Softdisk, you know, uh, uh, a game called Hover Tank, which was just a flat shaded, non-textured, the furry versed version of Carmax 3D engine. Then it, then catacombs, um, and um, you know I was hanging around with them. They were living in in uh, in, in Dallas at the time, and uh, you know I saw this progress on their engine. I was like, you know, after catacombs, I was like, we have to do a game for Shower that's using this 3D technology. And um, they were actually under an agreement still with Softus to release one more game, um, and they said we have to do this game first. I said, tell you what, what if Apogee does your game? give it to you. You release it as your game secretly. We won't tell anyone. And, uh, and that game ended up being a game called scuba vision, which my partner at the time, George Broussard made. It was just a side scrolling game where you played a scuba diver exploring, uh, you know, ships for treasures and stuff. Wasn't that great of a game, but it fulfilled its obligation while they were working on this game called Wolfenstein 3d. 
And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, that's how we get Wolfenstein 3D. We were kind of a little sneaky about it, but, um, <laughs> um, you know, uh, <clears throat> and, you know, and, and when that game came out, you know, they, they did a quick signal, uh, uh, sequel um, and then Carmack began work on the next new engine, which became the Doom engine, you know, and, and then while Carmack is working on the next engine that they did Doom 2 um, and then, you know, the Quake engine. So, yeah. you know, throughout the 90s, it was just this rapid progression of engine technology that was just kind of mind blowing and, and leaving everyone else, you know, in the dust. Uh, you know, we tried to keep up, you know, we hired a guy, Ken Silverman. Um, uh, to to do our version of a Doom engine, and uh, you know that's what we used for Duke 3D and Shadow Warrior, and uh, you know we started off Blood with that same engine. Um, but you know we were always playing catch up to Carmack. Uh, you know he was always ahead of us, so that's one of the reasons why with Duke 3D we knew we couldn't keep up with ID and and uh, and John Carmack. So we also knew that ID's approach to making games was very sort of bare bones. You know let's Let's keep it raw and simple uh, and non-frivolous. And, you know, they, you know, John Carmack was very much anti anything in the game that really didn't contribute to the core gameplay. Whereas we took the opposite approach. It's like, let's go in and have, you know, let's, let's have an interactive pool table, interactive um, movie screen. You know, let's, let's have some fun with the environment and do things that don't really contribute to the gameplay. But, right, right. but you know, we we knew that it added to a sense of place in the game you know you know if you can flush a toilet it's like that doesn't add anything to the gameplay but it it's like a, it's like a, oh my, my it's like a coolness factor it's like i could do I that like yeah right you know and and so we tried to we, that's how we tried to you know compete with id was do things that we knew they were not going to do they they had a faceless character a voiceless character let's have a character with a personality you know they're not doing that let's let's us do it and see how that works out Let's uh let's add humor to the game, you know all this kind of stuff. Let's add some really zany weapons because you know it it seemed to have fallen into place with their core you know pistol, shotgun, machine gun type of you know weapons. Uh, let's let's do some zanier weapons that they're not doing. Um, so so a lot of what we did was was you know in a way let we need to figure out how to compete with it in an area that they're not going to to compete with us in because that's not an area they want to go in. So. That you know, Duke is in a lot of ways a response to how do we compete with it. That's that's insane. Well, you brought up the voice, bringing a a voice to the character. No one was perfect. Ex no one else would have been perfect except for John St. John. That is, how did you land on him? Because without his, arguably one of the most iconic voices in gaming. He he just is for Duke Nukem. Like everybody knows that voice, you know when you hear that come up. I've come to you know chew bubblegum and kick ass. Like it's a they live. I cracked up because I knew immediately that that's they live. But like I th even when I hear it in that movie, I'm like Duke Nukem, right? Like so, how did you land on him? And then how did that feel knowing like oh man, like like our character is alive? Because then you see the you, uh, you know the photos of you guys at e older E3s with a giant jacked man who is literally Duke Nukem with you guys. Insane. Insane. Yeah, that's another case of just getting super lucky. Uh, my partner, uh, George, he was a big fan of um, that LucasArts adventure game where you, where you play the motorcycle guy. What's, what's it called? 
I'm not gonna remember it, but uh, the guy had this kind of gruff voice, and right, um, and George was like, you know, I, I really like that voice, and he contacted this, this voice agency and uh, said, I want a voice that's like that voice. And uh, if you listen to the two voices, you know, John St. John's voice and that voice from um, I Full Throttle. Full right, throttle. That's right. a, yeah, exactly full throttle. Um, if you listen to their two voices, they're not that far apart. Um, because John St. John was told we want kind of want a voice that's along that line there. So, you know, a, a dark, a deeper kind of a gruff voice. Um, and, uh, so yeah, John St. John you know, sent us a couple of takes and he just totally nailed it. And we were only going to use Duke's voice really not in the game. Like it ended up being used. Um, like just to like announce a couple of things, like for instance, like the first recordings we had at Duke, he was like, I think we had him announce like when you put when you selected um, a difficulty level, you know, and you clicked on it, uh, John Saint Voice would would say what you selected, like let's rock, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, anyway, when we when we started to hear his voice, though, I mean, I, I was telling the producer at the time, his name was Greg Malone, um, very underrated uh, developer on on Duke Nukem 3D, who contributed a lot, Greg Malone but he left right after that game. Um, what, I, I remember telling Greg, I was like, we got to have Duke's voice more in the game because it was just so awesome. Right. I right. mean, you could just tell it was just completely awesome. Uh, and so we just started putting together, you know, lines for the, for the, for the character to use in the game. Um, so it wasn't like it was planned. It was kind of like we knew we wanted a voice in the game, but we weren't really going to use the voice in the game. It was going to be more to just say things you know, at the at the at the uh, the user interface level, that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> and uh, but yeah, uh, when you hear the voice, you know you're onto something. And so we just, you know, I think we came up with like a hundred lines for Duke to say in the game. Um, and a lot of those lines were put in really even days before the game was released because we kept thinking of stuff in places to to uh, to trigger him to say something. Um, so <clears throat> it was just one of those. Again, very lucky things, but there's no doubt that there's no way you can imagine Duke with any other voice but John St. John's voice. Um, and just a couple of days ago, we did another recording session with him. Um, we're using him on some of our games. I, like uh, we did a recording session where he's doing several characters in our soon to come game, Turbo Overkill. Um, and the guy is just, you know, he's super talented. He can, he's got a range of characters he can do. Um, he's easy to work with. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's become iconic for that, for his Duke Nukem voice, no doubt about it. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, man, you know, as soon as you load up a Duke game and his voice comes through, you just know, like, it's just one of those games you're, you're like, I'm in like, holy, holy shit. Like, this is the guy. Like I, when I was a kid, like, I, you know, I think the first interaction I had with Duke when I was, it was when I was a kid, we were at a blockbuster. And I saw this game. I'd seen my uncle play Duke 3D and all the other ones on his computers, but I was never allowed to touch it. Like, don't touch my computer. Get away from my shit. I'm like, okay, sir. Well, yeah, whatever. But I was in a blockbuster with my mom. And I saw this game, Duke Nukem and the Land of the Babes. And immediately I was like, looking around, I'm like, okay. I like hid my finger over the M-rated sticker. I'm like, this one, Ma. She's like, yeah, okay, whatever, kid. I get home and I was like, whoa, what is this? Like, and it just like, blew my mind i was like this is literally insanity it's just in the game was insane and <laughs> like everything you could do i was like wow this is crazy but then i finally got to play duke 3d and i was like just like boom click 
all right, now I'm going to go into Wolfenstein. Now I'm going to play Doom. Now I'm going to play Quake, Quake 2. And it just, it was in, it was in, an insane renaissance in my head because of you guys, right? So it's insane. And then John, you know, John St. John's voice and all that. But what I would like to ask you, because you guys are, are Apogee and yourself have a very strong uh, Twitter presence. And on your Twitter, you guys do amazing things. Uh, and I actually received this Apogee binder with a Duke 96 bumper sticker, a closed copy of a Duke jewel uh, case, and a mouse pad. But you guys don't charge people for these. And you guys have, it, it, and it's awesome because if you look at what's happening online right now with, uh, you know, big boxes and, you know, older things like this, people are upselling them. They're selling a Duke 3D big box for, you could, probably find i wouldn't be shocked if you saw it for thousands of dollars or hundreds hundreds and you know dollars but you guys find these boxes in your storage units or your offices and you go huh well let's give these away to like our community which is insane and that's important for me because game preservation to me is important and you guys are doing that what made you guys find all of this stuff and go let's just give it to people let's do giveaways let's be like let's do this cool thing and share the past with everybody and give everybody a shot to have something they they love because i when i got this package i was like oh my god like i i smelled the mouse pad i'm like that smells like a 90s mouse pad i know that smell (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's all authentic for sure it's all it's all totally vintage uh original stuff um well I, mean, I just had the idea of going to my storage, uh, to to empty storage, um, about six months ago. Um, that's really kind of when I started my Twitter, and I was like, "What can I do to kind of like stand out?" And I figured, well, I'll go to storage and see what I can dig up, and maybe some, maybe post some cool stuff. And kind of digging around in boxes and stuff, I just was finding a lot more than I realized I had. Um, <clears throat> so, um, it became sort of a big project for me to see everything that that's in storage, which you know. Every couple of weeks, I go back and bring a few boxes back to my place that I can go through slowly. Um, and I'm also kind of like, you know, a lot of this stuff is in boxes that's kind of like getting old, falling apart. So I'm kind of reorganizing it in really nice waterproof plastic containers. I'm getting these from Target. They're really <laughs> nice containers. Um, and just sort of making sure that they keep safe. Like, because some of this stuff um, had some water damage because it was like sitting on the floor wasn't on a pallet like it should have been um so i just want everything to be safe going forward because um you know now that we relaunched aperture a couple years ago um you know i just feel like this stuff needs to be preserved it's it's actually way more valuable than we thought it would be like when i was saving this stuff back in the 90s and 2000s who who, who would think that it would ever be you know as cool as it is now uh uh and and have the value it has now um and for us you know, I mean, we're obviously going to keep a bunch of stuff, but we yeah. have enough of it to be given away. And who better to give it away, give it away to than our fans, where we know our fans are going to take good care of it. They're going to preserve it also. So we're just kind of spreading this stuff around. It's like it's almost like uh, thinking of every fan that gets this is like its own little it's in its own little museum now. And it's going to yep. be totally appreciated by someone who is a fan. Um you know, uh, you know, because, you know, people who follow us for the most part are, are fans of what we're doing. So um, we just feel like spreading this stuff around keeps it, 
in a safe place in a way, um, you know, and, um, but we're obviously going to keep enough stuff. Like, <clears throat> like I've got a, you know, a bunch of mouse pads here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, my plan is, you know, when we get down to about 10 or 20 of these, then we'll probably stop giving them out right, right. and just, and just keeping them. But, uh, we're not there yet. And, uh, so we're just going to keep, uh, spreading this stuff around to, you know, to people. <clears throat> and, um, you know, also it helps us, you know, in, in sort of a, a, a selfish respect, it helps us build our follower count, uh, because right, right. You know, we require you to be a follower. So, um, you know, some of these giveaways, you know, we've picked up over a thousand followers. So, um, it's, it's helping us, you know, we're, we're kind of like late to the party on Twitter. Um, when we started doing this about a year ago, we only had like about, uh, 7,000 Twitter followers. Now I think we're at like 34,000. It's so, a lot. Um, you know, it, it's, it's helped us grow faster than, than typical companies would grow. Um, and, um, so there is that side of it, but I mean, we love giving this stuff out, you know, it's, it's going to people who really, really appreciate it. And, uh, that, that makes us feel good. You know, we don't want to be selling this stuff. <clears throat> Honestly, you know, getting a couple hundred dollars for this or that is not, is not going to matter to our bottom line. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not, it doesn't mean anything for us to try and sell it. And I'm surprised other companies aren't doing this. I still see other companies, um, you know, posting stuff on eBay and stuff. And I'm like, why aren't you giving this stuff away? It's, it's not like you're making enough money to really matter, you know, right. on eBay. So, and you, you get so much good, more, you know, goodwill by giving it away. Um, like what we're doing. So this, you know, as long as we got the stuff, you know, we feel like we've got enough stuff to be doing this, you know, our giveaways for at least another year or two. Um, so we're going to keep, keep it going. That's rad. I got two things on this. One, I know I just won this. I'm happy with it. I'm, I am ecstatic. Duke 3D, I will keep entering that giveaway until I get a copy of Duke 3D Big Box for my Big Box shelf. It has to happen one day. You will see me entering every time. <laughs> I need one of those. Um, secondly, in regards to game preservation, though, that's exactly what you guys are doing there for a lot of people, and that's awesome. Is that important within the process as well, though? Because you see a lot of things go digital, and that's fine. But I fear that if everything does go digital, we also lose preservation. Because at any point, it, it's a snap of the finger, that product could be gone. Whereas, yes, I don't have a computer that, right now that I could theoretically put in the original Half-Life that I have on my shelf and run it. No, I don't. But I could always get the hardware if I had to. So I can always play the original Half-Life, no patches. And that's important to me. And I feel like for you guys, that's also important. Is that a factor in giving this stuff away as well? Yeah, like I said, um, if we if we spread this stuff around, you know, like we've only got like about, you know, just like the original unpatched yep. version of a Duke um, before it became the Atomic Edition. And, um, you know, we've got about, I don't know, I want to say 20 or so copies of this. So we're probably going to give away another 10 or so of these um, over yeah, the next month. Yeah, you, you just got yours. That's right. So, so excited. <laughs> that's, one of the, that's one of the boxes I recently opened up. Um, and um, so by spreading it around, I mean, you know, it, it protects the world from like if our storage unit has a fire and they're all gone. You know, we, right. Uh, but, you know, if we're spreading them around, then there's other copies out there. And we know that they're in the fans' hands. 
Um, and, um, you know, what better hands for this stuff to be in, you know, to, to, to protect it and, and to keep it pristine and, and so on. It keeps it alive. And that's super amazing that you guys do that. But it, like you said, though, it does boost things on social media, which is awesome because it seems Apogee is working on a good amount of things. Like, you know, Apogee 3D Realms and everything in that sphere is really working on a few things. You uh, actually, you and I were talking and you got Bread and Fred coming out. Do you want to uh, kind of t- uh, not tease because it's coming out shortly, correct? Yeah, it comes out uh, Tuesday, May 23rd. Um, and uh, it's, you know, this is a game, you know, when when 3D Realms was sold, you know, I was still working with 3D Realms when it was sold to the Embracer Group about two years ago. Um, and then um, uh, after after I, I was no longer involved with them, I, it was, you know, the idea was um, let's restart Apogee and this time really kind of lean into what Apogee was about originally, which was, you know, working with indie teams and helping these teams reach, you know, the best possible success they can. So, um, you know, when we launched Apogee, you know, two years ago or so, you know, we started signing up games and, and finding, you know, developers out there, just like we did in the old days. And uh, one of the teams that we found about a year ago was this team in Spain. It was um, two people, two main developers, uh, well, three three main developers and um, a musician and um, uh, working on this little penguin game. And it's not really the kind of game that I was necessarily drawn to because I'm way more in, of an action guy. But we saw some Twitch streams and some streamers playing the game. And it's a co-op game where you two little penguins tied together with this rope. And they were just laughing their asses off while they were falling <laughs> and trying to do jumps. And, and it was just, they were having the most hysterical time. Um, and so it was like, you know, there's something here, obviously. And uh, so reached out to them, uh, talked to them about the game and everything. And at the time they had like 7,000 wish lists and they were doing pretty good. And so we made a deal with them. And um and now the game just today hit 423,000 wish lists. That's awesome. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so it's going to be a success. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you the exact number we signed the game for, but um, I expect to make that money back within the first 20 minutes of the game sells. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, it's it's going to do really well for them, for us. And um you know, then we've got more games coming out this year. We've got uh, Rise of the Tried will be out. We don't have an announced date for that yet, but it's definitely coming out this year. Uh, Turbo Overkill and some other games that are that are on their way. So we're finally getting rolling this year with with uh, you know getting some releases for for the new Apogee. And um, you know, it's it's just a lot of fun working with these first time developers. Almost everyone is a first time developer and helping them make their dream game. And uh, it really feels like the '90s all over again for us. Which is very good for me to hear because that just shows right now it's the smaller teams. It's it's the indie devs that are kicking ass. It's the smaller teams that are actually branching out to be bigger than people realize. That is what's kicking ass in gaming right now. I mean, look at Night Dive with their System Shock remake. Yes, it's 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 taken time, but god damn, if you look at that, I'm like, whoa, man, like this is gonna bring a whole new life to System Shock. And I guess that leads me into, will we ever see Duke again? Because th- that, it, 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 I, I don't want to say it's like the Half-Life 3 of gaming. But for me, it's Half-Life 3, where's my Duke Nukem, and where's my Duke Nukem? So, <laughs> well, you know that's not up to us. Otherwise, it would, right. probably, be, it would probably be happening. Um, you know, we, 
worked out a deal to where Gearbox got the rights, I think back in 2010. Um, and, uh, you know, they were, you know, part of the deal was they were going to finish Duke Nukem Forever in a way that we thought would, would represent the project correctly. Um, I'm not sure that necessarily happened, but, um, but so it's, it's all in their court now, you know, we have nothing to do with Duke at all anymore. Um, except for, you know, we talk about obviously the past, uh, relationship we had with Duke on our Twitter all the time. Um, right. but you know, as far as the future of Duke goes, that's, that's a hundred percent up to, to Gearbox. And I don't have any insight on what they're planning with it. You know, I, I imagine that, that at some point they're going to do something with it, but, uh, your guess is as good as mine. They would have to, uh, something has to give, because I know, I remember, I, I don't know if it was EA or Activision. One of the companies basically said single player is dead. Nobody wants single player. It's all multiplayer, which okay, but that's not true. It's 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 been proven time and time again. People want single player experiences, and it just we need games like that. We need, I mean, Turbo Overkill. I remember seeing when 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 I first saw it. I think there, you guys put out a demo, correct? I don't know if it was on Game Pass. Yep. I played that demo and I was just like, holy shit. Like, I was like, this, I was like, I was like, whoa, dude. Like my head blew. I was like, this is sweet. Cool. We got this, but I need more of this. I need more just of everything. And it's, I'm seeing a lot of, of the older style. I don't want to say boomer shooter. I really don't, but the older style of games come back to the forefront. And that's what everyone's focusing on again. Like uh Warhammer, uh bolt gun that's coming out shortly. Insane. It's a awesome project. And, Obviously, paying its homages to Duke Nukem 3D, uh, Doom, Quake, and all that. It's just amazing to see that. Uh, before I do let you go, because we are hitting the 40-minute mark, how was it to work on FPS, Doc? Because I actually had the pleasure of interviewing Mr. David Craddock, uh, I think a year and a half, two years ago. And he was, we, we, he was plugging the film on the show. And then I got to recently see the film, which helped me kind of brace for impact when interviewing you and try try to get my shit in order but how was it working on fps stock because this has been a long time coming and I, and I saw the four hour cut and it was to me it was it's a very special thing that again goes into preservation yeah i hope that they release the four hour cut at some point uh, i I'm, I'm my guess is they're going to cut it down to something you know more in the two hour range but i haven't seen it um the only thing i know is you know i know some of the people that were interviewed um you know, I was uh, in this room right here where I am now uh, being interviewed. It seems like a year and a half, maybe two years ago. It seems like a long right, time right. ago. Um, so I barely remember anything from that. Um, and, uh, huh. You know, I'm just, I'm just like everyone else. I'm looking forward to seeing it um, because, you know, there's a lot of people who I know were interviewed that I would love to see what they have to say. Um, so, um, you know, I, I hope that that they, you know, if they're going to release a two-hour version, I would also love to see the version that you saw, you know, the, the bigger version, um, because I know there's a lot more depth that, that you're going to get from the longer version. So hopefully they, they provide that, that version also. You are in that film quite a bit, and it was awesome to see all of, like, you, again, Carmack, Romero, and everyone else that's in that film. I was like, whoa, this, the knowledge that you get from the four-hour cut, I even told David, I'm like, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how you can cut this in half. Like you can't unless you put it in parts because there's so much knowledge being thrown at you that I feel I'm not a part of the film board or nothing like that, but it's all important stuff. 
This yeah, I don't know why they can't. I, I don't know why they can't do a two-part movie or you know something like that. You know, because uh, <clears throat> I think people will will love all the the stuff that's in there. You know, you, why cut it? You know, if it's all good, why cut it? Exactly. Don't don't fix it if it ain't broken. Let it be. Let's keep it rolling. <laughs> I guess my last question that I should have asked up top was, and I will let you go after this, but I should have asked up top as a fan, what did actually like when you were creating Duke Nukem. What led you to create the character and just the world of Duke Nukem? Because you got, you know, Duke Nukem 3D. My first actual interaction with that, besides Land of the Babes, was the action figures I saw in store. I saw the pig cop, and I was like, what the hell is this? And I bought it, and then I was like, oh, that's that game. So, like, what created, like, in your head, like, what, what helped you create Duke Nukem? And, like, what led to it all? Well, it all started with the, the, the first, you know, platform game. And, um... Todd had the idea for doing a game that was just like over the top radical and he called it heavy metal. And I was like, Todd, there's already a movie called that. We can't call it that. And he had this really rad character who was just all about, you know, rock and roll and just taking things to the extreme. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and I had, I had been studying a lot um, about creating long lasting intellectual properties or IPs as we call them IPs. Um, and um, I had, I had fallen in love with what I call, you know, I, through the nineties, I called it the comic book model, which is, you know, what we need to do if we want a long lasting character, let's do what the comic books are doing. You know, when you look at a comic book, it's always named after its starring character, you know, Iron Man, Batman, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, you know, Superman, you know, on and on. Uh, let's, let's start using character names as our game names and um so i was like what well, you know what's a good name and uh and i said you know it needs to be a strong name and um uh you know so i said something like duke i remember saying because right, right. i was on the phone with him i remember you know something like duke as an example he goes oh okay 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 and uh we we hung up and then like a few minutes later he texted me back um i think this on this was like on uh, some BBS system or something, but he, but he came back with Nukem, and I go, "You, you did it, Duke Nukem, <laughs> you did it." <laughs> and so, you know, when you have a name like that, that's kind of over the top, it helps define the character in a lot of ways. And so right. it's like, you know, he let's just, let, you know, he's just this brash, you know, fearless character, um, and uh, you know, and I said, you know, the thing about Duke is that he's deadly serious even though the world around him can be sometimes a little silly that's like let's make that like one of his defining traits and so <clears throat> that's you know that's how he even you know that's how he even was in duke 3d so you know you can only do so much with a character in you know platform games when there's no voice and stuff but you do see duke kind of evolve in duke one the first platformer in duke two and then of course in duke three once you start adding the personality with the voice it just really just comes to life um but the seeds were there in the first game that's beautiful man i i you, you, listeners you're lucky you got so much history out of this episode that i am excited to share um is now before i do let you go is there anything that you wanted to plug when it comes to apogee any games you wanted to plug before we cut and we uh we do we go about our days no nah, no nah, i don't want to make this about plugging anything um but uh, yeah, really enjoyed this interview. Really enjoyed talking about this sort of thing. And uh, you know, let's do it again in about a year.
I am 100% down, man. Let's do this. And I will keep entering that that giveaway until I get a big box. I tell you right now. Good luck, man. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. That was Scott Miller. Thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe. We'll see you later. This is the WASD and Beyond Podcast.